You didn't get rid of me that easy. All right. Now today, we're taking a little pause from our series on why we do what we do. Um, I was given liberty to speak on whatever I wanted. So I figured the Bible's a good place to speak on. So that's what we're going to do today, do some more speaking on the Bible. And uh, I'm going to start off by just reading a whole bunch of scriptures, starting from Matthew, working my way through the Gospels. See if you can put together the connection. Now, if you pay attention and listen, you should get 100%. Because it should be pretty evident. Alright? So here we go. And then uh, we'll open our time in prayer. So don't, don't bother trying to follow along because I'm going to be jumping verse, verse, verse all the way through. So just mentally put yourself, okay, I recognize that one. Oh, I recognize that one. Oh, I kind of know where we are now. Here we go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and the birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and walk. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and when sorry, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you are standing here, here will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Matthew. Oh, not Matthew again, still, sorry. (laughs) Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn Him to death. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life a ransom for many. When a son of man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. To be sure, even if Elijah, sorry, sorry, to be sure, if Elijah does come first and restore all things, why then is it written that the son of man must suffer much and be rejected? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He has been given, and I, sorry, and he has been given all authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Bet you can't guess what today's theme is. Son of Man. Let's open a word of prayer first. Lord our God, we give you thanks for this great, wonderful day. Oh, we thank you that we can. Spend some time this morning looking at your son, the only one who is worthy to be investigated, worthy of our time to spend learning about who he is, for he is your son. Lord, I pray that as we consider his name, the Son of Man, today, that you would uh, teach us something new about you and reveal to us how wonderful and majestic you are. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So the, the, the reason for the study today... It's a little bit embarrassing to me, but this past summer when I was up at camp, directing teen camp, um, 
Richie and I were, were, were just discussing together, just camp program things because we're the program directors and life is crazy as a program director. And one of the staff came up to us, like younger staff, you know, um, and asked us, hey, why is Jesus called the Son of Man? And, I'm, and in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. And I didn't say anything yet. And then I'm like, actually, I don't, I don't think I got this one because I, I know the Sunday school answer. But there's probably more to it than just a little Sunday school answer that I know. And thankfully, Richie's standing next to me. Boom! Started ripping off scriptures from Genesis to the end going, oh, yeah, there is more to this. You know what? I need to study this. And this is kind of one of the reasons why we're going to look at today is because it has been just, the one thought has been mowing over my head for the last few months going, what is the Son of Man and why is it important? Why is the title that Jesus calls himself Son of Man a big deal? Um, if you notice in Scripture, in the Gospels, when Jesus refers to himself, what's the number one title that he gives himself? The Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man over 80 times in the four Gospels. It's there a lot. And that's one of the reasons why I read a lot of verses. I didn't read all 80 verses, obviously, but I read quite a few of them just to point out to you that it's, it's in there so frequently. And if that's the way Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, it's probably a big deal. There's probably some significance to it. And I kind of want to spend some time today looking at that and hoping that maybe at the end of this time you have a little more appreciation uh, for the title that he gives himself, a greater appreciation of who God is and what he's done for us. And uh, I, there might be a little application here, but this is mostly just, hey, let's, let's learn about Jesus today. Okay? So, when Jesus came, he could have given himself, you know, a lot of titles. But one of the other titles we see is he is the son of God. And when we see Jesus called the son of God, that is definitely a title of power, right? I am the son of the supreme, all-powerful, all-knowing being. I have right to rule. My father is the owner and master and controller of all things. He controls all the supernatural realm, all the physical realm, that's my dad. I'm, you know, the Trinity, right? I'm a part of that. He could have that power, title, that he threw out there. Yet he chose to use uh, the name Son of Man. I mean, just, just think for a minute. When he came down, he could have used, I'm the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am... Uh, I am the all-powerful, all-knowing. I am the king of this world. Bow down and worship me now. Could he have said that? He would have had right to say that. He had the right if he wanted to when he stepped foot on this earth. I am the savior. I am the majestic king. I am the all-powerful one who actually spoke you into existence. Bow down and grovel before me. He could have done that. He didn't. He could have. He has the right to do that. But when he came before us, he came with meekness and lowliness and humility, which again, I, I, I don't grasp because if I were the king of kings, and you know, if I were the, like, I, I'd be very boastful in that. I'm boastful in the little positions that I have in my own classroom. This is my room. Back up. This is my space. All right. This, my, my classroom is not a democracy. No, my classroom is a dictatorship. Okay. You do what I say when I say it. If you don't like it, there's the door. There's a principal's office right next door to me. Go have fun. Okay? Go take it up with her. That, that's my classroom. That's how I run it. 
Uh, and Jesus Christ very well could have, when he came on the scene, done that exact thing. And he did put his foot down when he needed to. But most of the time when he was walking around on this earth, it was in a very humility, humility way. He was very humble. He was very meek. He was very sensitive and compassionate. He chose to use the word son of man, which when we look at just the word son of man, all right, in Aramaic, guess what it means? Human being. I'm a human being. I'm a son, and I'm a physical, I'm a son of man. I'm a descendant of Adam. Now, we know that if we wanted to get very technical, he wasn't a direct descendant of Adam through the bloodline of man, right? Because he had a virgin birth. But he was flesh. He was one of us, born of a woman. It speaks to his humanity, right? He experienced everything that you and I experienced, even though he only lived for 33 years. I used to say that, man, he lived a long life. But now that I'm at 35, I look back and go, actually, I'm older than Jesus was at his oldest point in life. Wow, it actually wasn't that long of a life, was it? Um, maybe you are even probably looking back more than that. Uh, Jesus, in his 33 years on this earth, experienced everything that we He experienced joy and happiness and, and, and the greatest times that it could be. He also experienced the sorrow and the suffering, and he experienced the hunger and the thirst and pain. I'm sure as a carpenter growing up, I'm sure he... Well, I'm sure he did hit himself with a hammer. He's a human. It slips, things hit. I'm sure it happened. I'm sure he felt the pain. He knows what we experienced, right? He is one of us. So when he came and he introduced himself and shares uh, Scripture, he released himself as the Son of Man, he's making a connection with us. Hey guys, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. Yes, I'm unique. Yes, I am the Son of God. But I am here not to come on the offensive, not to be all up in your face, but just to be one of you and make some personal connections. But to those who had an ear, let him hear. And when Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, it kind of stirred up a, a commotion. It kind of stirred up a commotion. Some of Jesus' last words, when he was being judged, when he was before the rulers of the time and they were about to crucify him and, con- and condemn him to crucifixion, what were the words that he said that the high priest said, that's it. You heard it from his own voice. Crucify him now. What was that last nail in the coffin? What was those few words that Jesus said that that was it? That's all they needed to hear. That condemned him to death. Those few words. What were those few words? Because they said that over his life he did these things. Those things were bad. He did these things. Those things were bad. He stirred up riots and he had to be, all these things were bad. But when he said this few little words, they said, that's it. We, we don't need any more testimony. That alone right there is worthy of death. What were those few words? Anybody? Oh man, this morning Mr. French stood up and he shared from Mark. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, that's it. He's going right there. He's going for my, 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 you know, my left hook. Right? That's it. He's taking it. And he, he didn't. I was so grateful. Uh, Mark 14. Turn with me. Mark 14.
All right, Mark 14, verse 61. Now, he's standing before the Sanhedrin, right? So he's standing before people right now that know the Scriptures. These are the people who are the most educated. They are to know the Old Testament, their Holy Scriptures, more than anyone else. Right? So he's not standing before the Romans who are oblivious to the, the Scriptures. He's standing before the religious leaders. Okay? 61. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him, worthy of death. Then they began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists. What was the one thing that pushed it over the top? He claimed to be the Son of Man. He claimed to be a human being? Big whoop! What's the big deal on that? And this is what I want to get today, is that there's more to the name Son of Man than just I'm a human being, I'm one of you, I can make a connection with your humanity side. There's more to it than just that. And that's what I want to spend the rest of today on. Alright? So, to do that, obviously, was the New Testament written at this time? No. When Jesus was saying these words to the Sanhedrin, obviously, there must be something in the Old Testament Scriptures about this Son of Man that, that triggered the Religious leaders, oh, he just said what? He just, he just pulled that out? He just claimed that? Oh, that's it, he's done. Alright? There must be something special about that name. So to do that, we're going to have to go back, we're going to back up a little bit, go to Daniel. Okay? We're going to do some reading from Daniel chapter 7, but first I want to, I want to do a little back, um, story. Um, I've been reading through Daniel since I've been doing a study reading through Daniel, and I would love to do a whole study on Daniel. It's kind of it's one of those books that I strayed away from. You know, I had to, like the fun stories at the beginning of the book, but then the end of the book it's really prophetic. And I kind of wanted to stay away from it, just you know, going through my life because I know that it gets really intense and really hard, sort of like reading Revelation. Um, but now that I sat down, I should start to read through. I'm like, there's some really good stuff in here. I mean, actually, I think it's become my favorite book. Um, not just because the stories in there are awesome. Listen, if you haven't read the book of Daniel, it's phenomenal. That, that just, just the stories of these people, of what these things went through, and the amount of faith that these people had. It's like, man, that's so cool. I wish I had faith like that. Um, but you know, in the beginning of Daniel, all right, obviously, the, um, let's set the backdrop, right? The Israelites had been taken captive into Babylon, right? King Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. Uh, Daniel's been uh, blessed by the Lord to have the opportunity to serve under the king, uh, to be one of his uh, wise people that he goes to when he seeks counsel, and he gets godly counsel from Daniel. And the king has a dream. And in his dream, right, uh, if you remember, he sees a great statue, a great, tall, human-like structure. And this thing is massive. It's brilliant. It's excellent. It's awesome in the eyes of man, right? And it had a head of gold. It had a head of gold. And it had breasts and arms made of silver. It had legs of iron. And the feet 
Okay? Were 50-50 about, you know, uh, clay and iron. And the king was, didn't know what it was. He didn't understand this dream. And there was a stone that was perfectly round came and crushed the feet of the statue and it fell on his face and shattered to pieces, right? And the king didn't understand his dream. So he called all his wise people around and said, hey, 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 someone explain to me his dream, but I'm not telling you what the dream is, right? Yeah, see if we can figure this one out, guys. Hey, I'm not going to tell you my dream, but tell me what I saw and then interpret it for me, right? And of course, Daniel, through the wisdom of the Lord, uh, shares with the king what it means. And I'm not going to go into all the depths that it means, but basically, right, it explains and talks about the four kingdoms that would come after Nebuchadnezzar, the great kingdoms that would rule over the world. He's being prophetic here, talking about the future. And uh, Daniel says, listen, the first part of the statue is this gold head. The prominent king of kings of the earth, you, O king Nebuchadnezzar, are that king. God of heaven has given you authority and dominion on this earth, and you are one of the greatest rulers that ever existed on this planet. His, his, his kingdom was huge. Huge. So Nebuchadnezzar was represented as the head. Now the kingdom that comes after you, all right, most likely represent the Medes and the Persians. They were the arms and the breasts. And then after that, the legs of iron was probably Greece, Alexander the Great, right? And then finally, the feet, probably Rome. Again, this, this is my interpretation, all right? So take it for what it's worth. But I believe it to be Rome. And we know that Rome was known for, listen, they were known for crushing their enemies under the iron feet that they had. Um, so Daniel was laying out the Lord was laying out to Nebuchadnezzar, here's what the future looks like for the world. But there's a time coming when this massive, huge statue, the greatest leaders that ever existed on this planet, they'll be brought to rubble. They'll be brought to powder and dust because this boulder, this stone, not made from human hands, but made from God himself, will come and crush the statue. Make it fall flat on its face before the stone, because it's nothing. And obviously we know, because we believe the Bible to be true, but that this stone, the one which the builders rejected, is who? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we see that now. Daniel didn't fully get all this imagery, but he, he's, he's, he's getting it a little bit. And the Lord revealed this to him. So remember, we call that story, right? You guys learned that in Bible school, Sunday school? Now let's go to Daniel chapter 7. While you're turning there, I just want to read Daniel 2.42. This is the end of the vision, right? In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. Here is a promise that God makes, that one day the greatest nations of the world will all come and crumble and bow down before the King of Kings and the true Lord of Lords from heaven, the Messiah, the promised one, the stone which the builders rejected. Daniel chapter 7, we're going to read through it. Okay, We're actually going to read all the way down to... 
Let's go down to verse 11 or so, okay? In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was laying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up a great sea. Four great beasts, each different from each other's, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had wings of an eagle. It watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so it could stand, sorry, so that it stood on two feet like a man. And a heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised upon one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on his back, it had four wings like those of a bird. Its beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision, at night I looked, and before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had iron teeth, it crushed and devoured his victims and trampled underfoot whatever it was left. It was different from the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up from among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, his hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was sealed, and the, sorry, the court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. Wild dream, huh? Man, could you imagine having that dream? Fortunately, when you read through Scripture, and you come across a passage like that, and you go, I have no idea what it's talking about. A lot of times the Lord is good to us. If you keep reading, He explains it to us. Oh, okay. And I'm not going to go through it right now, because probably you're like going, what in the world? I want to know what that all means, right? And again, I don't know what it all means, but I... I I've been trying to work my way through some stuff. If you continue reading through the chapter, it explains in greater detail what it means. The Lord actually reveals to Daniel what these images, what these beasts are. How many beasts were there? Mm. There were four. And what happened to the beasts? What was the end result of these beasts? They were allowed to rule, and in the end, they were slain, 
killed, thrown into the fire, right? Destroyed. Wait a minute, we just talked about a statue that had four parts to it. Now we see four beasts. Very likely these are a parallel of the same thing. Very likely, as you continue reading, uh, to me it means this. Just as the statue represented the four kingdoms that were to come after Nebuchadnezzar, the beast also represents the four same kingdoms. The difference is this. We're seeing the same thoughts, but from different perspectives. All right, From the first perspective, we have man's look at the statue. When mankind steps back and looks at the greatest leaders of the world, we're like, whoa. Right? We're, we're in awe, right? Alexander the Great, he had some mighty forces. He had a mighty rule, right? When we step back, we even look at America, we're like, whoa, we live in a great nation. We live in a, look at what we have. We are the wealthiest nation to ever face this planet. We have more than we need. We have the coolest tech. We have the greatest military ever seen on this planet, right? We are an awesome nation. Yes, we have our problems. We have our problems, right? But we are an awesome nation. And the nations around the world, when they look at us, even though at times they say a lot of things that they hate us, we have this joke running in Canada. Canadians are always making fun of America. But if you pulled out a passport with their picture on it that said U.S. citizenship, oh, they'd take it in a heartbeat. Okay? Yeah, they make fun of America all the time and put them down saying they're always better. But if you handed them American money, if you handed them an American passport, they would grab it like that, right? The world looks up to and wants to be an American citizen for what we have, right? We look up. It is awesome. Now we get a different perspective. God's perspective of the world. When God looks at those same great nations, he doesn't see what human beings see. He sees the mightiest nations of the world as beastly. They're ugly. They're sinful. It's full of pride and desire for more. It's not a pretty sight. The Lord allowed Daniel to see all this with the intention that, hey, Daniel, here's what I want you to see, because one day, there's coming a day when the Ancient of Days is going to rule over everything, right? The Ancient of Days, who's been around forever? God himself, right? And he is going to sit on a throne, and all the kingdoms of the world will crumble before him. Brian, I, I don't get it. Where's the Son of Man? I, I don't see the connection yet. Back to Daniel 7. Let's pick up verse 11 again. Ready? Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, his body destroyed, and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped and their authority Uh, Sorry, stripped of all their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. 
He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In the vision, Daniel sees a human being in heaven. He sees a human being walk towards the ancient of days, walk towards God himself. And this human being is not on his face. Every human being in history who has seen God the Father face to face, what happens? Boom! Flat on their face as if they were a dead man, right? This human being is not doing that. This human being is walking up to the ancient of days, direct face to face. And we see that everybody surrounding the Son of Man is doing what? They're worshiping Him. They're worshiping Him. There is only one deity in this universe that is allowed to receive worship. Right? When you look at the Old Testament, a lot of the times um, when Jesus Christ came down or, other, or, or angels came down, right? All right, here we go. When angels came down and talked with human beings, what did humans always want to do? They want, hey, let me get a sacrifice for you. Let me worship you. And what did the angels say? Whoa, 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 back up. No, 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 no. We're just messengers. We are servants of the Most High. You better not worship us. All worship goes to God. We're just servants, right? Now this human being is in the presence of God, and God is allowing him to be worshipped. If God is allowing his action to occur, there must be something special about this Son of Man, about this person, this human being. He must be the Messiah. He must be the promised one that would rule forever. And as we just read, what, what position is he given? This human being is given all authority, all power to judge the universe. Every nation, every language, every creature, everything in the supernatural realm worships and bows down to him. Kind of a big deal. The religious leaders knew this account. They knew about this one who would come someday called the Son of Man. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Now, to the average layman, they see, oh, Son of Man, great connection. You're, you're one of us. But to those who were studied in the Scriptures, there's so much more meaning to that name, Son of Man, than just, hey, I'm a human being here to make a connection with you. Hey, I'm actually the one who God Himself sent to the planet here to save you, and I'm the one who will be coming with the clouds and reigning over this universe one day. And that's what torqued off the religious leaders, is that he claimed to be the one and only human being who could walk into the presence of God, and God would give him all the glory, all the power. He gives him the seat on the throne, and Jesus claimed to be that person. That's what got the religious leaders so torqued off. Is that the one person that they were looking for forever? This guy? The guy from Bethlehem? Isn't that Joseph's son? The carpenter? He's claiming to be that? Oh, no. 
Oh, no, that kid, no, he got to go. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 2. Daniel 7 is fulfillment of a prophecy made even previous to this. It's Psalm chapter 2 by David. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Start in verse 7. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter, and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Do you guys see the connection between this and Daniel? And, and, and the statue that's crumbled to pieces? The greatest armies and nations of the world will be put to dust before the feet of Jesus Christ. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. When we read through the verses at the very beginning of the time, time together, excuse me, did you notice when Jesus related himself as the Son of Man that he used the term, I'm a human being, I'm one of you, right? But along with that, usually came a connection to authority. Let me read a couple to you again, ready? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to what? Forgive sins. See, even though he used the layman's term for human being, he put in a little, hey guys, take a little little piece of this. I'm not just a human being. I'm not just a God-man. I am the one who will reign supreme, and you want me to prove it to you? Hey, you, paralyzed person, get up and walk. I have authority here on earth to forgive sins. I have authority here on earth to heal people miraculously. Oh, yeah, and religious leaders. Um, yeah, you don't like that um, my, my people are working on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know that person who will one day walk face to face with God, that human being will enter into his presence? I being that Son of Man? Yeah. Who do you think you are telling me what I can and cannot do on the Sabbath? Are you joking? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Alright? It's just a little, uh, to the religious leaders. Take that, guys. Yeah, you don't control me. And in fact, I make the rules. And by claiming to be the Son of Man, that's what he's doing to them. He's putting all the religious leaders in their place. But again, only people who are well-versed in the Scriptures would get that. Would get that. And that's one of the things I've been like, oh man, God, that's so, those last couple months, that's so cool. When every time I read Son of Man, I'm like, oh, he's relating to me as a human being. Actually, no, when he's saying that, he's saying, yes, I relate to you as a human being. I'm one of you. But guess what? I am the God man. 
I am the human being who can walk into the presence of God and have everything placed under my feet. This is my title. This is my authority position. I was like, that's so cool. I've never been able to read the word Son of Man the same again now. Like, God, Jesus Christ here is using his position of authority in a calming, peaceful manner. He's not thrown in their face saying, back up, I am the ruler. He's doing it in a peaceful way, claiming that I'm still one of you guys. I'm still a human being. Let's make some connections here. How do we see the Son of Man end up? Like, what's, what's the finish line look like? Well, we know that all things we put under his feet, anywhere in the New Testament, when we look future bound, do we see the Son of Man come up again? Let's go to Revelation. Can't find myself. Revelation one, I believe. All right. Revelation chapter one. Remember, John's having a vision in heaven now, right again. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I had turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone dressed like the Son of Man. Sorry, there was one someone like the Son of Man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first, I am the last, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Where do we see the Son of Man in the future? He is Jesus Christ. For He was the one who died, but He is the one who is now raised again. He is sitting at the right hand of God, he has been given all authority, all power. His countenance here is beautiful. He is amazing to look at. Amazing to look at. And he is in a throne seat of authority and power. And the best part is, John falls flat as if he was a dead man, right? And what does this one do? What does the Son of Man do? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What a wonderful thought that the one who has the, like, has everything, has the ability to go like this and make the planets disappear, just wipe out. Has the ability to go like, 
this and make all of us wipe out and go away, right? What does he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, we have nothing to fear from this Almighty God. From this Almighty Son of Man, we don't have anything to fear. And it's such an awesome thing to think that one day we will see Him and we will worship Him and we'll finally get to see all that He is. And the one who is reigning on the throne is one of us. He knows us. He gets us. The one who's calling the shots understands me. He understands you. And He loves us. And He loves us. I hope you've enjoyed some of those thoughts. They had just been some things that have been running around my mind. I hope they kind of flowed a little bit for you guys. Um, let's just give Him thanks. Lord our God, we give you thanks for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you so much thanks that there is no way that this Bible, your word, is man-made. The connections in it from thousands of years ago to your son now and the things that, have, that will come to pass, that they're so tightly knit together, it's impossible that it be fake. So Lord, we know that what you say about your son is true and will come true. That one day all the nations will bow down before him. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people, ones who have lived and ones who are living now and the ones who will live, will all bow down before you and worship you. For you are the Son of Man. And we give you thanks for his great, t- great title. I pray that we would simply just be in awe of who you are and how great you are, Jesus Christ. We love you and we give you thanks. In your son's name we pray. Amen.